Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is May the 1st. It is the best month of the year, so welcome everyone. Our scripture today comes from Matthew 6, 5 through 13, and I think you'll find these words very familiar this morning. This is Jesus speaking on his Sermon in the Mount. I am just a little quiet. Can I have myself pumped up just a tad? Thank you. There we go. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees, that, sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Blessed is this word. You know, when I was uh, doing that series with the kids before, and we were just talking about that, I had to print it out and keep it on a copy, like on back one of these things. Because I swear, as soon as I start doing it in worship, I start forgetting words. I'm actually going to talk about how I memorized it in the first place. It was around Lent. I think it was Lent, but I'm not 100%, but it seems like something my mom would have done during a Lent time. She set up a small worship space in our house. She took a, what had been a little end table and put over a nice little white cloth on it, and there were some candles and uh, Bibles, I think some devotionals. I don't really remember for sure. But I do know that there was a, a small sculpture, two hands cupped like this, cut off just below the wrist, like you could put candles or flower petals or something in them. That's what I remember most vividly about those hands. I'm always feeling like I should be able to sit them up and hold something, but they couldn't. But it was there that my mom would gather our gather the three boys regularly and teach us, teach us about the Bible. And we did this for quite a while, a year or two, where we did this pretty, pretty regularly. But the first thing she had us do was learn to say the Lord's Prayer by heart. It's this most basic prayer. Now, I added it at that time to just the list of prayers that I had memorized, such as the nightly, the nightly prayer that has since become a fixture in my daughter's uh, bedtime routine. 
And those dozens of uh, prayers that we learn to sing up at the lodge and at home before mealtime, prayer was something, though, still that was overall prescribed. That is, just like a medication, you knew exactly when you were supposed to take it and which one you were supposed to take, give or take a little bit. You know, there... You know, they're the ones that were super prescribed, even if they were kind of funny with the tunes of Happy Days or the Abbs family or the Superman behind them. And there were the occasional prayers where someone spoke off the cuff, where you know, they just spoke from their heart. You know, every, every morning before we left for church or left for school, we gathered just in front of our door and we grasped hands as a family and we had a family prayer. And, but still, even though that was different every day, we knew exactly when we would do it. We knew exactly what it was going to be about, give or take. Looking back, I don't regret that in any way. I say prescribed, but they were still prescribed perfectly. They were what I needed at that age. They were what I needed to help ground my faith as I was learning it. But as I grew into adulthood, I realized that those prayers would not be enough. I had to more closely examine the words that came out of my mouth. Those words, I spoke to God. I needed to take more seriously what I was asking of God and what I was promising God. A prayer life that, in which the prayers are always wrote reflects a faith that is also simply rote. It's just routine. Jesus was never rote, if he could help it. He had his compass firmly fixed upon the kingdom's way, and he lived a life that never strayed from that determination to walk towards God, but it did not always follow the easy roads. It often went through bramble and swamp to get there. He made his own routes. And so we ask ourselves, are we ready to walk off comfortable paths that our feet are used to? Are we ready to pray so hard and so fervently that sweat will fall like drops of blood? Are we ready to encounter the power of God to open ourselves to the Holy Spirit and the possibilities that a spirit-oriented life will lead us to take? Prayer is a dangerous thing. Once you walk out of the shallows of childhood prayer and into the depths of God. Now, as we prepare for Pentecost, I was um, I want to talk. I, 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 I want to spend some time talking about prayer. It's the most basic part of our faith. Prayer is what we are introduced to as children. And it continues to be a major part all the way until our time to go meet God face to face. The words we use, the time we dedicate, and what we expect to happen, all coming from prayer. And so today, we start with the most basic of prayers, the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to hopefully be making you question 
by the end of this sermon, whether you are going to say the Lord's Prayer next time, I invite you to. Spoiler alert, it's going to be in the benediction. Why? Because words have power. The ancients understood this. Though they took it to a, a, a bit further than we would today. You know, they would write, quote-unquote, spells in runes or cuneiform or hieroglyphs. But they weren't the words of some special language. They weren't like saying abracadabra as it's portrayed in movies today. Some ancient lost language that holds unusual authority. No, it's just the words they spoke every single day to one another. For them, those words themselves were a magical thing. The curses on Egyptian tombs, the words of strength and power etched into Viking swords held no power, uh, held power not because they were this magic language, but because they were their own language. Let us approach our language like that. Of course, this raises a new problem. When you approach your language as having power within it, it means that the words that one says every day have the same kind of power as the blessings and curses of the Bible. It means we have to be a little more careful. The phrases that the tongue utters take on new power and danger when it's believed that they have the power behind them. Oaths and promises take on new power, especially when you come across the idea of calling on God to act as witness in things. We see this in the Hebrew Bible, language taken so seriously. This is the third commandment. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord or God, for the Lord will not hold, uh, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This commandment is expanded upon as the law grows to explain that people could make oaths and call upon God as a witness, but to do so without the intent of fulfilling the oath was deadly. There are many verses clarifying, like the warnings that appear over and over in that overly large pamphlet that comes with any new piece of furniture or appliance to tell you all the ways you should not use this appliance. The Bible's full of that. If you want to, you could really consider a great deal of the Torah as a warning, do not use the Bible this way, or your faith this way, or your words this way. Things can happen. Numbers will actually devote an entire chapter just discussing what the rules are for women in oath-keeping and when they should be upheld and when they can be voided. I only point that one out because it's easy to find an entire chapter about that. The men's section's a lot larger. They were very concerned what any person would say, and a flippant vow could spell disaster. I realize I'm saying this in a world that no longer highly values language. We have popular figures spouting lies and nonsense with self-acclaimed authority of those who are in the know, and then claiming no fault, of their, no fault when listeners actually listen to their advice. 
saying that it's obvious that they are not, nothing but entertainers and that any reasonable person would not take them literally. Still, while claiming out the other side of their mouths, they know the truth. We have politicians who promise the moon even when we all know it's outside of their power and then make no progress whatsoever anyway. We have people who are idolized because they are deceptive and insincere and they have used that to get ahead in the world, claiming all is fair and love and war and business. And we teach our children that we should follow their examples. Our words have become cheap and our oaths have become toilet paper. Let us balk, balk at this disingenuous culture. Instead, we should approach our words that we speak as seriously as the ancients. Our language as a magical and powerful tool. That our yeses mean yes and our noes mean no. And that when we say we hate something, it is actually something that deserves hatred. That when we tell another person that we love them, that we genuinely love them, and they know they are a beloved person. And when we pray the words that Jesus taught us so long ago, we take these, these sentences seriously. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but deliver us from the evil one. This may sound a little different than what you have recited typically. It's certainly not for me. I mean, it's certainly not comfortable for me. I have to sit here and read it word for word to make sure I don't get this wrong. Part of this is, is uh, translation differences. You know, every translation's a little different. Part of it is that Luke has a version and Matthew has a version. I'm reading Matthew's right now. And on top of this is culture and tradition, how we have said it in the past, how we have been taught to say it, how it appears in our hymnal. And lastly, there's the doxology. As I told the kids, uh, a doxology is technically just a liturgical formula of praising God. And in the original scriptures, it's not found until about the year 400. The earliest, what we call ancient authorities, the earliest scrolls from which our Bible comes from, do not include it. And of course, this is the part that says, you know, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, before you go, wait, then shouldn't we cut it because it's not in Scripture? I'll let you know that the doxology appears to have been added to the end of the, Lord, end of the Lord's Prayer as early as the Apostles' generation. It appears in a work called the Didache, which was written around the year 100, give or take, and was considered to be a guidebook to the Christian life. So it's okay. We've been doing it for 1,900 years. We're good. Technicalities aside, this prayer is a dangerous one. It is very simple. An introduction, seven petitions, 
but it's still very dangerous. I felt like I couldn't just jump into the most dangerous parts without giving every part a little bit of a, a nod at least. So I will start with the less dangerous bits and we'll get on to the more dangerous ones. Of course, there's the intro, Our Father in Heaven, not that dangerous, a little familiar maybe, especially at the Aramaic saying Our Daddy in Heaven. Okay, just a little familiar, but not dangerous. Then there's the first and the second petitions. They are that God's name will be respected and that God's kingdom will come. Again, not so dangerous. Can't really think of many people of the ancient world and today, at least those who believed in God, who wouldn't wish for these things. I will note that the word kingdom doesn't actually appear in the scriptures. I can practice this all day until I say it in front of y'all. Basileia uh, is better translated as reign, as in a king's reign, as opposed to a physical boundaries or kingdom as we would think of a nation state today. For them, it was much broader. We aren't praying for God to come down and put down borders or to bring a government. We are praying that God will reign over all, that we will all follow God's law and way of living. Again, not dangerous. Maybe a little dangerous if you got Romans looking over your shoulder, but not dangerous. The other part that doesn't seem so dangerous to me are the last two petitions. And do not bring us into a time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Pretty standard, you know, God keep us from, uh, you know, giving in to our urges and sinning and protect us from evil. And both evil and evil one apply because the Greek word is go either way. All right, now into the more dangerous bits. I might work my way up. Fifth is the least of these more dangerous, and the third's the most. For the most, so, number five. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It starts pretty easily. Israel's always looking for a way to make things right with God. There are hundreds of verses dedicated to the process by which an Israelite could obtain forgiveness through sacrifice and through action in the law. There were also ways for the community and the nation to also wash away systemic issue, like systemic sin, and sins that no one's sure who's to blame for, like uh, an unsolved murder. They had a way to make sure that the sin wasn't given to the people. But Jesus always takes the law one step further to go to the, the truth behind the law, the teaching behind the teaching. And he asks us to hitch our ability to be right with God with our actions. In short, God is, Jesus is asking us to ask God to deny us forgiveness if we deny it to others. Now, this isn't saying forgiveness for those who ask for it. This is blanket forgiveness. Forgiveness 
regardless of the other party's repentance. This is forgiveness for that jerk who nearly hit you on the highway. To the bully from grade school. To that neighbor who blows their leaves onto your lawn every single week. It's forgiveness to that person who hurt you so bad you still think about it every day. Can you forgive them? Can you pray those words? The fourth is, give us this day our daily bread. Again, simple on the surface. I, like to use, I would use the word banal or boring. I mean, all things come from God. We can all agree to that. You know, we need sustenance to keep our bodies going. And should we not ask God to make sure that we can keep our bodies going? But again, God, Jesus takes this to the teaching behind the teaching. And we find it in a very odd word. One that doesn't translate well into English. He could have used the word uh, hemorrhage, which would translate as the bread we need each day, the bread of the day. But instead, he uses the word epiosias, which only appears twice in the Bible. Once in Matthew, once in Luke, both times in the Lord's Prayer. That's it. Nowhere else does it make an appearance. The word is an odd one. And so putting it together with the word from bread, you could translate it something along the lines of the bread um, that will give us what we need for this coming day or the bread that will get us through this day. These are just guesses. I, I read a lot of theologians who had lots of opinions on this. But a common understanding is that we are to ask God for just enough to get by day by day. Essentially, you are saying, God, don't give me wealth or prosperity. Don't give me saving accounts or pensions. Don't make my stocks go up or my taxes go down. God, give me just what I need to get through today. And tomorrow, God, give me just what I need to get through tomorrow. And so on and so forth. Now, I say this, I'm not saying perhaps you shouldn't be investing in your 401k or your pension or whatnot. It's still a smart idea. We live in a different world where our finances are a little more complex. But recognize that we aren't told to ask God for riches and wealth and power and authority and all of that. Instead, just ask God for those bare essentials. I think this helps tie into that whole plea for, no, for being out of temptation. Since it's so easy then to just worship mammon, money. To be caught up in the pursuit of it instead of pursuing God. Can you ask God only for your basic necessities? For just enough to get through this sunset? Just enough to get through the next sunset? And so on and so forth. Can you rely on God to just get you through? Last and most dangerously, the third petition. 
Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't think you can make this feel safe. In fact, there's only one way we can make it feel safe, which is to repeat it over and over again without thinking about what we're saying, which is what we do. I would like to remind you of some of those people who followed God's will. Peter, Andrew, James, Philip, Bartholomew, James, Jude, Matthias, Stephen, Paul. Let me see, beheadings, crucifixions, and skinning alive. They chose to follow the paths that God followed them on, called them on. Think about even Jesus. His last prayer, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. A plea, expressing his own feelings, but submitting his will to God's. This isn't faith that we will have a happy ending at the end of the day. That we are not, we don't ask to be the hero who returns to hearth and home. This is a prayer that invites God to take us along lonely paths and through war zones to places of starvation and where disease rules to be willing to lay our lives down for God's reign. It is not a prayer for waiting for God to come fix the problems of this earth, but a prayer for God to use us to fix the problems now. That's pretty dangerous. I always think of the line that Gandalf says to Frodo. When you walk out the door and step onto the path, you can never be sure where your feet will lead you, where the path will take you. And I'm not quoting that perfectly. Forgive me. We never know where God will call us, where our feet will take us. It's a hard prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. It's the most basic prayer that Jesus teaches us to say. It is the foundation prayer of our faith. Holy crap. <laughs> it's frightening once you start to dig into the words that we say by rote. So, think about it before you say it. We'll be moving ever towards Pentecost and going through more dangerous prayers. To be fair, I don't think there's one that's more dangerous than this one. But we'll see. Think about the words you use. Think about what they are putting into this world. Think about the magic of being able to even say them, to express another, to express an idea to a stranger, be they next to you or 2,000 years in the future. Think about what you're saying to God and what you're promising to do. And if you're willing to make that step, say the prayer and be willing to step. I will caveat 
some of the things I said in the sermon by noting that I think God has a great place. I think there's a great place for humor in our world. So don't take every word you say 100% seriously and recognize that things are jokes sometimes. Especially because I'm sure I'm going to make a couple jokes back there when talking to you all later, because I do that. But still, that does not mean we, we shouldn't take the words we do say as anything less than powerful and magical. And certainly applies to whenever we talk to God. So I invite you in closing, as you feel able, and hopefully I won't mess this up because I do this whenever I'm in front of people for whatever reason, but I invite you to join me in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and deliver us from evil. Not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Told you. Amen. <laughs>